I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Catfish and Crappie Podcast. My name is Mark, and I am thrilled to have my buddy Dave Weimer back this week again to answer all your questions. How are you doing, Dave? Doing good. Doing good. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Good. So uh, here's what we're going to do. We got a lot of live people in chat. I'm going to keep an eye out for some questions. So if people have questions, I'm going to ask them. Uh, if you could please put a special character before your question and we'll get it there. If you want questions answered right away, um, we're, we're going to answer them as they come. Of course, super chats always take priority over, uh, uh the rest of them, but we're going to try to get as many questions as we can in today. Hopefully you guys have some good ones. David's a, a wealth of knowledge. He's been doing this for a long time. So, uh, um, and I want to thank you again for being on the um, on the Masterclass series that I'm having here on the channel. It's really cool to have people of your caliber and, and, and get to share that information out with, with my subscribers. So uh, that was really cool. I really enjoyed doing that show. The first one we had was with Lyle Stokes, where we talked catfish rods. You were my second one. I got some ideas for some, some other ones, and uh, um, I appreciate you doing this. So, uh, wow, that was a mouthful. Once I get rolling, Dave, I don't stop. It's all right. The more you talk to us, you know, I can just hear it. All right. Eric B. Eric B. Starting out with the first question. Eric B. is a great fisherman. Uh, he lives here in Illinois. He's, he's a guide himself. So uh, his first question is, where are you from? Okay. I'm in from the Des Moines, Iowa area. And if you're not familiar with Iowa, Des Moines is pretty much right on the. Okay. Well, yeah, that answer. I don't want to, uh, before we go too far, it sounds like there's uh, a little bit of an echo. Is that on my end or? Oh, that's, that's me. Know? Thanks for letting me know. Okay. Let's just throw me off. Like, how's that sound? Is that better? Um, yep. Okay. Perfect. We'll move the mic back here too. All right. Sorry about the echo. We got Freddie's outdoor adventures. He says favorite bait for fall winter cats. Well, that's easy. My bait doesn't change year round. So, um, I typically enjoy using bluegills and shad as my go-to bait. But, of course, you know, you want to obviously check with your state regulations on what you can and can't use. But um, I don't change it because the fish don't change what they eat year-round. So I just keep it simple. And if that's what they're feeding on and that's what their diet is, that's what I want to try to offer. Now, is this something that you've learned from the biologist that you talked to? No, honestly, like, I don't want to – I don't want to down – downgrade the question mm-hmm. but it's really it's just simple um the, the fish are used to eating x y and z other fish that are in there so don't change that i mean don't go don't go off the wall crazy just keep it simple feed them what their normal diet is and that's what they're going to be used to eating very cool you know um uh, to build a little bit on that question is um what are you confident with? I have this weird thing where certain times of the day or certain times of the year, I kind of change my bait up when I'm chasing catfish. Um, and I don't know for sure if it helps, but it makes me feel better about myself, to be honest with you. But it's good to know that someone like you believes it, that it really does it. So, Well, whatever you do that makes you feel more confident, 
you're going to fish it better. You know, does that make sense? That makes all the sense in the world to me. Trust me, I've, I've come across this too. Fishing with Dom does have a question. He says, what are the key factors that help a fishery produce bigger channel cats? All right. Well, uh, Fish with Dom, I think, is one of the people who follows me on Instagram. Uh, so thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. Um, some of the factors are going to be some of the different things we talked about on the previous episode. But number one, I believe, is going to be water quality. Um the better the water quality and the purer the water is, the healthier the fish are going to be and the more that they're going to be able to put that energy towards growing and being a healthier fish. So fighting out diseases and uh, poor water quality is, is a little harder on bait fish and other things like that. So I would say number one is going to be the water quality. Number two is just going to be a general practice of selective harvest. Uh, you're not going to continue to have a, a lot of trophy fish in the lakes if you if people continue to um, over harvest some of the lakes that you know that are some of the smaller areas they're going to for an example we had a, a place here in the des moines area that i actually guided on for a couple of years starting out and it was a great fishery had good water quality um and it had phenomenal catfish. It'd be nothing to go out there and catch 25 or 30 fish, and they were all good fish in just a few hours. Somebody put an illegal uh, trout line in there, and I found it one day in my trolling motor, and I pulled it up, and it was, I mean, we're talking long, a good 100 feet or more, and it was just chock full of catfish. And I don't know how long that person had been doing that, but I know that it, they were... Um, Turned in after that, I, I found their actual fishing license and some other stuff that they left out there. But after that, it really turned the lake completely down. Uh, so I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I just say, you know, you can take too many fish out of a smaller body of water and it takes years to, to re replace those. So water quality and selective harvest, I think, are the two big things. It's not the first time I've heard it about the water quality. We did a, um, we had a, a gentleman named Bob Lusk when I was, uh, well, while I, I helped Lyle Stokes with, uh, Panfish Nation, we host a show and we had Bob Lusk who, uh, um, uh, he, he's, he designs ponds for like the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, the owner of Bass Pro Shops. And he says the biggest thing, the, the biggest thing that, that he feels determines the health the quality size of, of of fishery is water quality so i'm definitely not not surprised to hear that from you dave so cool um texas tiger thanks for becoming a a member i appreciate you again it goes to help support the channel uh chris Hustleton, yeah chris that's exactly uh, how you get your questions noticed so cool uh let me scroll down here all right, Justin's Fishing Fetish says, where should you target cats in the lakes with cold water? Well, I tend to go a little deeper. You know, I think that those fish are going to be hugging close to the bottom in those deep holes, just like when we ice fish for them. We're looking for the, the deepest holes of the lake uh, or the ledges and the transitions closest to the deepest holes. But you have to understand that a fish wants to be comfortable. And it doesn't matter year-round. Uh, warm water, cold water, sunny days, cloudy days, uh, windy days, calm days. The fish want to be comfortable. And they want to use as little energy as possible to be comfortable. 
kind of like people. I mean, I'm that way the older I get. I just want to be comfortable and use as little energy as I can to, to be that way. Um, but you're going to have that warmer water in those deeper pools in the wintertime. And those fish are going to stick down there right on the bottom. I noticed the last few weeks that I was fishing, every single fish that we caught, I always looked at their their uh, their belly and they were covered in mud. So, uh, you know, those, those fish are smart. And they're going to use that bottom, especially like in a silt or a mud um, bottom, to kind of burrow into and hunker into. And it works kind of like a blanket effect. Where their body heat is going to get in there and it's going to be trapped. So that's where they're going to want to be in those cooler uh, times of the year in the cooler water. So we're, you know, our biggest, the lake I fish, the deepest hole is about 36 feet, but it's not really uh, the most ideal location as far as uh, where it's at on the lake. So I'm spending the majority of my time the last month of the year fishing 25 to 30 feet of water and they're just stacked. Yeah, the they got all stacked in there. That's that's pretty cool to know. What people, you know, it, and a lot of people in my chat here don't have any experience ice fishing, but you you learn that you know in the colder seasons that deeper doesn't always mean colder. It could actually mean warmer as well, right? Because of the, the way the water gets stratified right. in there. Yeah, yeah it so. stratifies differently. So the times um, when I used to scuba dive a lot, it was pretty well known fact that about every three feet of water, there's a temperature change. And so that's why it's it's a good idea to get like surface temperatures, but that's not really what the actual fishing temperature. Mm-hmm. It just kind of gives you an idea. Hey, this is what it is on the, the top side, so you can kind of put the, that piece of the puzzle together to know where where to go on the lake to, to use it. But ultimately, the best thing, if you really wanted to, to be scientific about it, is what drop down thermometer. But you just, I mean, you know, like you. Right. Water temperature is this degrees, you know, then I'm going to be fishing some deeper water. Yeah, you know that it's going to it's going to be a couple of degrees warmer, especially late, late, late in the year, early in the winter. So, right. Yep. You can assume that pretty safe. All right. Nina's kayak crew has a good question. She says, what type of rods and reels do you use or do you like to use? Well, Nina's, thank you for the the question. Um, The only reels are the only rods that I use are the Whisker Seeker seven, seven foot six, medium heavy casting rods and the only reels that i really ever used are the abu garcia the 6500 c3 catfish specials and i'll tell you a little bit about those every year i get new rods um, just because it's part of the benefit for fishing for whisker seeker there's nothing wrong with them they, they catch hundreds and hundreds of fish every every year but um, i'll tell you those reels are like sherman tanks uh, I just took them in for the first time Friday, I think it was, in the four or five years that I've had them, to just get a once-over from our, our real shop here. And I bet you they've caught anywhere between five to 6,000 fish on them, and I've had zero issues with them. And I haven't had any rod issues either. I, like I said, I just get get the new ones each year, but I really enjoy the rods, um, the Whisker Seeker rods, because... As we talked a little bit on the, at the previous episode, and I hate to bounce back to that, but we did spend a lot of time on rods. Is there's, you can feel what's going on on the other line, or at the end of the line, and that rod's sensitive enough, sensitive enough, and every part of that rod, the action, the backbone, 
the fighting portion of it, it's all built to let the fish fight the rod where you can get into some different rods that are just uh, overly strong and something's got to give on the weakest part is generally the, the skin of the fish when you're hooking with circle hooks. That's why I choose that, the equipment that I choose. Very cool. Um, Two Stance Fishing says, uh, when water temps drop, where do you look for big fish? Deep water. Honestly, I mean, I, I hate to give you a short, quick answer, um, but it's as simple as that. And so, you know, I can keep, I can, I can give you a, a, a long detailed answer, but go to your deeper holes. That's going to be the, the quick, easy stick to that. When the water temperature gets colder, go to your deeper holes and, and go to that. And if that, if they're not there, try there first. So that's what I normally, have. I hit my deep hole first, but then I go immediately to a transition area next to it. So it, it, five feet can make a big difference. You know, that can be in 30 to 32 feet of water. But as soon as I hit that 25 to 27, that might be where they are. They might be staging to go to those deep holes, or they might have been in those and staging to go up over shallow feet on, on what's moving around up there. And these are in lakes, correct? Yeah. Honestly, um, if people ask me a bunch of river questions, I'm not going to be able to give you grading. Okay. I just want to make sure that people realize that because I, I, I do know that you, you you fish a lot of lakes. So uh, sure. uh, we have Kelly over at the Bullock Experience has the question of the night probably. He says, what is your opinion on chicken as bait, I believe, is what he's asking. Yeah. Um, go back to one of the original questions is fish don't generally eat chicken, so I like to keep it simple and, and feed them what they're used to eat. If you've ever been to any of my seminars or read anything that I've been part of that was published, uh, I'm a huge believer in feeding them what they're used to eating. So if, and there's a lot of ways, and you can tell I, I have to pause and, and slow myself down when my wheels start going so I can think it through, see which route I want to go, and then explain it in a way that everybody can understand it. Um, I'll give you the very quick explanation as to why I, I do this. I do think that fish have trigger mechanisms. Um, like fish strike out of vibration. That's why certain baits work. There's certain trigger strikes. I think that if you get a bait that's used to, close to a fish that's used to eating and they're hungry and they smell it, basically however you want to refer to that, that can trigger a a reaction, you know, a reactionary bite or response because the biology tells them that's who we eat it. You know, they don't have a great big brain to think things through. They just have a tiny brain that works on a few things. Be comfortable and eat and don't, you know, don't get killed. Don't get eaten by another. That's how fish think in, in general. Um, so I related all that. I, all I got to do is a lot of analogies to bacon. If I walked you into a place I said they're cooking one thing and you have to tell me what it is. I guarantee you 99% of the people in here, if they didn't see it and they didn't hear it and they smelled bacon, they would say somebody's cooking bacon. And I think it's really it's the same thing to fishing. If you just get that scent down there and it's something that they're used to eating, um, I think it's going to take you leaps and bounds further than a lot of manufactured and concocted baits that are on. 
And I'm glad you said baking because that's like my favorite thing. Everybody in chat happens to know that sometimes I get started. I don't think I've had a podcast where we didn't mention the word bacon, and and you did it for me, Dave. So I want to tell you I appreciate you, man. I had to figure out how to get that in there, and I didn't have to do it tonight. Freddie's Outdoor Adventures, he says, do you bump, drag, or anchor for cats in the winter during midday and and any specific depth, I guess he's asking? Yeah. Um, So my style of fishing – is 100% moving. I, I, I troll the whole time. And I'm going to refer to trolling and drifting as primarily from the rest of, for the rest of the show as trolling. In a sense, it's the same thing, but I hate drifting and I hate using drift socks and I only do it if it's an absolute means to an end. So I prefer to troll at any given cost. I will wear my battery down or, or whatever, but trolling is what I do. And the whole reason is that we're looking for the fish that are active. We're looking for the fish that are hungry, and we're trying to stay on them. So as soon as we get the first fish uh, caught or the first solid bite, and if it's not hooked up, you know, there was the first attempt. It's legit. That's what I want to start marking, and I want to figure out my route and pattern from there, which I have, you know, predetermined before we get started. And as soon as the, the fish stop, that's where I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to go right through those fish again. So I don't bump. Um, that's more of a river tactic. Uh, I have bumped off the back of my boat while we're trolling before. And it, it really is basically the same thing as doing it in the river system. The concept's the same. It's a little bit different technique as far as boat control and stuff like that. But uh, trolling is, is what I do to, to stay on the fish and, and find the fish that are active, especially in the winter months, because a lot of those fish are slowed down. And so if you can find the, the pod of fish that are hungry and active, stay on them until they're, they're not biting anymore, and then go find the next ones that are out there. And I, I'm sorry, i got to get kind of close because the, the writing's dying right here. So. Um, okay, midday, uh, I don't change my tactic or my technique at all. So sunrise to sunset, midday, mid-morning, mid-afternoon, it's all the same. I'm constantly moving. I don't anchor. I don't even own an anchor. Um, I'm just constantly looking for the next group back. And by the time that the water's pulled, those fish are spooled back up and they're, they're in groups. And when you find the ones that are hungry, it's fast and furious. And it's the same way during ice fishing. You drill on those, on those cats and you're on the ones that are hungry. You can't hardly get a rod set before it's going back off again. In the depth, I think we kind of covered that, but look for your deeper Deeper holes. And, and I want to remind everybody in chat that you are in Iowa and Iowa does get iced over. So if you're a, a southern, uh, um, cat fisherman, um, your results may vary in the coldest of, of winter months. Correct, Dave? Yeah. Everything's going to be dependent on, you know, what yep. your, what your situation and scenario is. Uh, good point. And thanks for bringing it up. And I'm in Iowa where you can have a winter that's 30, 40 degrees or you can have a winter that's 30 and 40 below. Yeah, it only took me like 30 show, th- doing 30 of these shows to try and keep everybody in mind while I'm doing these. So it took me a while to figure it out, but we're there. Yeah. <laughs> Kenneth over at Takedown Catfish, and I hope that answered your question. He was asking basically if you, uh, uh, your favorite way to fish, and, and, and it is your dragon baits, correct? Yep, always moving yeah. and looking for the next group of hungry fish. Skip, he's a great angler out there in, in Ohio. He says, uh, uh, what hooks work best for you? Um, so I'm a big fan of the circle hook. 
And I use uh, two, just two different hooks. So my go-to is the triple threat. And I'm sorry, you guys are probably going to get tired of me hearing about Whisker Seeker stuff or talking about it, but it's a company I fish for. So everything that I use as far as terminal tackle rods and gears is provided by them. And I don't fish other things. So I'm, I'm referring to the product um, more than maybe what you'd probably or what some people, I'm not trying to push the product is what I'm saying. It's just what I have to use. So I'm trying to give you an answer off of the products that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to be one of those guys. So this is the only option. And, and, if, what I need. and if you follow Dave on, on Facebook, I do have the link down in the description. Give him, give his service or um, give that link a, a, a click, follow him. And uh, he puts fish on the boat. So I have no doubt that, those products he uses definitely get the job done. So wouldn't you agree? They do what you need them to do, right? Yeah. Stay humble on that, but they, they work well. Um, to answer that question a little bit more in detail though, a uh, circle hook is, is my go-to. Um, I really prefer though, the triple threat, which is by whisper seeker. And I use that in a six and an eight on um, eight on uh, only one particular lake that has some really big channels in it. And, we're throwing baits the size of my or three quarters the size of my hand. How, how big a bait? Well, you can't put this into perspective, but you know, our average bait is probably four inches by four inches. So okay. it's pretty big. Um, so you're throwing, you're throwing pretty big chunks of bait as far as channel cats are concerned, right? Yeah. But there's okay. some huge fish in there. My, my other guy that uh, lives on that lake, he caught one last week. It was just a pinch under 20, I believe. So 20 pounds, that's a huge Iowa channel cat, like massively huge. That's rock. a good channel cat anywhere. I don't care where you're at. 20 pounds would make me happy all day long. Right. And I, I'd, I'd get home happy and my wife would think I'd caught fish when I got home for sure with that one. So <laughs> she claims that I'm if I don't catch fish and I come home, she says I'm crabby. So she's probably right. Well, uh, I'm going I'm to go into that question just a little bit further if you don't mind. Uh, absolutely. So, go ahead. Um, the reason I like the triple threat is the fact that I take new people out fishing. New meaning they're new to me, and I don't know their style of fishing or their expertise or how how well they understand putting the whole concept. So the triple threat, the fish sometimes can hook themselves. It's designed also that you can sweep the rod and get a hook set, or you can reel down and, and uh, get that hook to turn and, and get a hook set that way. So it, the design of the hook allows for... Um, a more consistent hookup with people who have different styles. And when I take people out, you know, I'm trying to teach them. Uh, I'm going to say the right way because there is a right way and a wrong way to put all this piece, all these pieces together to make the concept work. But having an extra variable like a hook that can have three actions of hooking the fish is definitely going to be more successful than just one, one option. That's why I choose that hook, and that's the size I use is typically a six aught, and it hasn't failed me. They're laser sharp. I mean, it's scary how sharp. All right, cool. Tim Molina, thank you so much for the super chat. I appreciate it. Tim Molina says, thank you for the quality guest. I couldn't agree more, and thanks for coming on. Sunfish King actually has a question for me. Let me answer this real quick. Uh, He says, what streaming service and camera are you using, Catfish and Crappie? Uh, Right now, I'm just using a basic Logitech webcam. When I'm live streaming on my boat, I'll use my Apple Apple iPhone 11 Pro Max, uh, and I use StreamYard. So uh, 
Uh, hopefully that helps. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact me. My contact information is on my about page, uh, or you can just kind of reach out and contact me through uh, uh, Facebook. That's uh, always a good way to go as well, because I always have it open during the day. So, okay. Frank has a, I don't know if this is a question, but he says, every time I get them on uh, on ice, they're suspended over a basin. I think I find that to be true, too. Um, I wanted to wait towards the end of the show before we started talking about ice fishing for them, but um, the question came up from Frank anyway. So uh, is there any reason why they would be in the basin, or is that just a coincidence that we're finding them there? Um, I'll be honest with you. I have never caught the channel cat suspended in the ice. Uh, I've caught them on the bottom or within a few inches of the bottom. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, it is, you know, if you want to consider the basin, the deeper hole of the lake, that's what I would consider, you know, a basin. And I would agree with the location of it. Um, the suspended part of it is throwing me a little bit for a loop because typically, when I've dropped down and seen them on cameras or we've seen them on flashers and caught them, they've all been within generally in the bottom, if not right, right smack on the bottom. Area. Okay. I saw a question up here. I'm trying to scroll back to the chat's going pretty quick. Uh, Frank made another statement here. It says, I promise water temp is over 32, uh, at least the mineral content gets heavy i'm not quite sure what he means by that uh let's see over here uh local life outdoors says any advice on fishing for big cats on shallow rivers or rivers that have been uh they have down there in south carolina i believe that dave is uh a lake fisherman um i don't know if you can help him with any of that dave you know uh some of the the tactics don't change though so if you can figure out where those fish want to be comfortable and where they're going to expend the least amount of energy, that's where you're going to want to target first and foremost. Whether there's big fish there or small fish, that could just be the, um, the dynamics of that, that river that you're in. I mean, generally, they're going to have different quality fish, if you want to call them that, or different size fish. But it's not like one spot's going to hold the bigger better fish than the other it's going to be is the is the structure and the depth and the contours where the fish want to be so you know things that i would look for would be any types of water seams or breaks where you have a fast current the slow current and that's going to push uh, bait around especially on the back side of those eddies and, and how the water swirls you know back around there smaller fish get trapped in those and they are tired from, you know, being in the river system when the current moves through and they're looking for the quick, easy jet out of there. Yeah. Like, like food conveyor belts, right? Bingo. Yeah. Pretty much. Avid Fisherman <laughs> has a question. He says, channel cats and thermoclines. Uh, what are your thoughts? So thermocline, you know, by definition is uh, where your water separation is also has a lower density of oxygen so you generally aren't going to find fish below the thermal plane but you may find them right near the thermal plane uh, we don't have a tremendous amount of thermoclines in the lake that you know that i fish but i understand how the science of the thermal plane works and going back to the scuba diving days i've actually dove down and seen visibly you can see the thermal plane in the water which is why your sonar picks it up it's a 
it's a different consistency, if you will, of the water, if that makes any sense. Well, actually, it, it, it does, now that you mention it, because you got to tweak your sonar and under different water conditions. So if mm-hmm. you got different water conditions and layers in the same body of water, that's how it's picking it up, correct? Right. So those okay. two things, they, you know, they stratify um, together. It actually appears in the water as a, a milky it almost looks like milky water. That's the best way to, to try to explain mm-hmm. it without seeing it firsthand. But there's a significant temperature difference in between, you know, water above the thermocline and below it. But you can tell that the water below it, being that it's more of a, and I, I, I don't have a better term than thicker water, but mm-hmm. where those two combine, you can tell going below that thermocline that it's kind of stagnant. And a lot of that is because of the lack of oxygen um, that's down there and the lack of movement where that thermocline almost acts kind of like a shield or a barrier. So your fish are going to be probably pretty close to it, but generally not going to be below. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Cool. Hey, there's Fishing Kit. I'm guessing he knows you, Dave. He says, hello, yeah, Dave. Dude. <laughs> I, like, I like Kit. He's a good guy. He yeah. says, does facial hair help you catch bigger fish? Heck yeah, it does. That's, it all it all started with uh, uh, I should go this or not, but I will. Um, it all started with the no shave November at work. I work on a fire department, and generally you can't have facial hair. But I switched into an inspector rule about seven years ago, almost to the day, and I wasn't wearing fire gear anymore, so I was growing the beard for no shave November. Well, I couldn't do that because a lot of the guys angry that they weren't able to grow beer, you know, that I was because of our policy. So I asked, you know, what's the best thing I can get away with as close to it? And here we are. And now I've kind of kept it since then. And when I go different places, more people recognize me for the mustache than they do me. Hey, you're that guy. I remember. So how do you know who I am? The mustache. So it's kind of become a trademark, you know, I guess. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was a, a, a hazmat guy back in my younger days. And that's why I went to a goatee. And that's where this one came from, because I was able to wear the gear with the goatee rather than having a full beard. But anyways, let's let's get on to some other questions. How you doing, Kit? Thanks for coming in. But uh, Muskrat Adventures say, do channel cats group up right like blues in cold water? Yeah. Yep. So, you know, looking at how the fish kind of go throughout the year in a different cycle, springtime, they're kind of still schooled up and together. And then as they start going into their spawn, not every fish spawns at the same time. They're going to kind of become solo at at this time. You know, the females are going to go up and lay eggs, and then they come back. The males fertilize eggs and guards the nest. Mid to late late summer, depending on what the weather is doing during that time, you're going to get ones and twos, mostly female, sleep for like 45 days stretch. And then after that, those fish are going to start schooling up again. And you can start, you can tell when they start schooling up, when you start getting one and two together. And then the next week, it's um, 
So like one and two would be like I caught one and then five minutes later I caught one. And then maybe like three or four days later to a week later, oh, now we have a double. Right? You get a double for another week, you know, and then like, hey, now we got three going off or we caught two and then 45 seconds to a minute, minute, two minutes, whatever later, we got three. And those fish are starting to school up and they'll stay like that all the way through the rest of the winter and the next So it'll take them that long to get schooled up. It could take weeks, huh? It can, like this year, you know, I mean, man, this year was like a, a headache every day. Um, I mean, even in, until the last few weeks of uh, my fishing season, I was catching skinny males that were still bleeding from, you know, doing their thing. I don't get uh-huh. it. And this whole year has just been weird. But typically speaking, you know, you're going to have about a 45-day window where that spawns a, a kick to the boys, you know. It's, it's just that. Yeah, I have a feeling we'll, we'll we'll talk about the spawn here in a second, but let's see. Corey from the Flatty Daddies, what's going on, Corey? Congratulations on your PB Flathead again, but he's got a great channel. Check him out, everybody. Uh, from your uh, diving experience, have you noticed if rivers have the same difference in temps at various depths, uh, like lakes, or is it more uniform because of the flow? So it's it's typically more uniform because of the flow. Um, you're going to have a few different areas where the water temperature is going to vary, and they're going to be in areas that are out of the flow and some of your deeper flows. So if you think of water water as energy, because water has energy, and water has, um, has thermal energy, if you want to call it that. So as water moves, it loses some of that energy, it loses some of that temperature. If you think of a hot pool that's calm, uh, you, you know, like let's so say you go back into a shallow cove or you go into a cove where there's no wind, on a hot day you dip your toes in there and it's going to be kind of warm water. You go out to the main lake on a windy day, you dip your toes in there, it's going to be cool. And it can be the you know the same day, whatever you want, but that water loses its thermal energy as it's moving and it's turning, and those molecules are mixing, warmer and cooler, and they're losing some of their energy. So. In your river system, um, it's pretty consistent because that water is consistently generally moving. Unless you find the back back waters, if you want to call it that, or like the the fingers or the holes where, um, or areas behind like jams and stuff like that or jetties, where that water is a little bit more uh, stagnant, it's going to be a warmer. Which makes sense. I mean, it's like air passing through a radiator, correct? Yeah, exactly. That same that same effect. Uh, Brent, Nicolette, what's going on? How you doing? Thanks for checking out the channel. We appreciate you. It says, how do you pick leader length and weights on Santee rigs on lakes like Sailorsville, Sailorville? Yeah. Hey, Brent, how are you? It's uh, it's good to hear from you. So I, I see Brent quite often um, on the water, and he's a good guy. Um, so typically, to answer your question, is my leader length is generally the same all the time. Uh, it's going to be somewhere between 14 and 20 inches. And honestly, what I do is I, I cut off about 24 inches. I tie my first knot and then I hold my rig up and I go, yeah, that looks about right. And I tie it, you know, tie it on there. There's no scientific reason behind it. It's just, I typically go with about from my thumb to my elbow. So whatever that is, you know, maybe 20 inches or something, or not even 20 inches. It's probably more like 16 inches or something like that. And that's kind of uh, 
kind of a general rule of thumb, but there's no, there's no great answer. Can, can you it. go too short or too long with the leader? Do you believe that that's possible? Yeah, I think that too short is a hindrance. Um, and I think that too long can be somewhat of a hindrance too. You know, if you're looking at, and there's, there's a lot of answers to, um, everything in different bodies of water and different species of, you know, fish, blues, channels, planets, things like that. So, um, specifically to his, you know, to his question on the, he fishes the same like I do. And like I said, I see him almost every single day that I'm on the water. Um, the leader length is going to be generally about that 16 inches or so. And the weight, I'm going to go, I'm going to answer his question specifically. I'm going to come back to, to you. Okay. okay? Um, and then weight wise, I typically like two ounces and that's something that I put on a sinker slide. Um, that's got the clip on it. So it's easy to change if I want to, but two ounces is pretty good up to about 20 mile an hour winds. And I'll keep the weight on the bottom. If it gets a little bit windier than that. Maybe I'll clip on like a one ounce with it. I don't have three ounce weights. So, um, if I have to add more, I'll just, I buy one and two ounce weights and, Excuse me. What I what I use are like uh, structure snakes or drifting sticks, and I don't use lead. I'll tell you, man. Since I switched to more of a stick type of weight, I don't lose rigs nearly as much as I did when I had lead, like a, a you know any type of lead weight down there. The other thing too is I like my boat, and I don't like when fish get close to it and I'm slinging two ounces of lead around and hitting the side of my boat. So the the protected Stick style weights are, are what I like for multiple different reasons. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I never thought about that or or the comment you made about the wind. I never thought how wind would affect not just you know your boat and how you're dragging, but how the bait sits on the bottom or how the weight of what you're dragging sits behind the boat. So that's definitely something that I'm I'm glad somebody asked. So see so you I'll learn tell some- you that I, mean, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like if I if I I don't want to get too far off too many points, but the weight makes a massive massive difference on a windy day and i'll tell you I'll, i've been on like and brett will know you know sailorville can get really rough on, on anything over 20 mile an hour especially in the summer it's always a south wind mark you probably don't know if the lake runs north and south that's somewhat narrow so if i'm putting in you know six seven miles down those those waves have a, a lot of uh, energy by the time they're you know two three feet up and down and they're they're fast moving so wave 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 mm-hmm. and i want to keep my bait and the only way to do that is to use a heavier weight um, so when those rods lift up and down and i also and this i'm going, we're going to go into some of the scientific stuff too but that's also where i re- i like almost dump the first screw on those windy days i let as much line out as i can before i start getting back so almost back and then it doesn't have quite so much up and down. Yeah, the geometry Heavier. makes up for it. Bingo. Yeah. And you got to do that. Otherwise, you're just going to be pulling bait, you know. Up and down up, and bouncing around. Down. Yep. You're already pulling it in one direction. You don't need to be pulling it in three other directions. So, so uh, let me go back to your leader length question. Uh-huh. Uh, to answer that one a little bit more specific, um, I do believe if you're fishing for different species, it makes more of a difference. I think for channel cats, the majority of the time they're going to spend their their lifespan within one to three feet of the bottom. And if you cut that half the distance or a little bit shorter, you're going to be okay in leader. 
Gotcha. Cool. Fishing with squirrels says, uh, or asks, when you say deep holes, how deep are you talking about? So, um, fishing with squirrel. I like, uh, it's going to be dependent on what your body of water is. You know, we have a lake in Iowa that has, um, the deepest holes 12 feet, but the average, you know, depth of the lake is generally three to four or five feet. So that's your deep hole. It would benefit the person to get some type of a lake map and look at the, the topography um, or the contours of the lake and see where the map says the deeper holes are, you know. So that's where, I mean, it's, it's just relative to that body of water. But a deep hole can be anything that's deeper than the, the average pool, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Skip over at Clearview Outdoor says, how about the dog days of summer? Where do you find fish? Early in the morning. <laughs> That's where you find fish. It doesn't help. It, it, it's not bad to beat the sun before it gets up either for your your own comfort. So Right. So, I mean, really, the, you can. I do my trips like this. In the, in the early morning, we're on the water at 6 o'clock. So that means that, you know, we get there a little bit early. We shake hands, do what we got to do, sign paperwork. So drinks in the cooler. We're on the water at six, and then we're have lines in the water by six fifteen. My trips run five hours, and generally speaking, at ten thirty to ten forty, the bike just shuts completely down. And we're talking like the like he says the dog days of summer, where the high mm-hmm. is going to be ninety five to one hundred and five or whatever the case is, and it's sunny and no clouds. By fishing, the best part of the fishing is going to be early in the morning or right at dusk. But that's I mean I hate to say it like a how about the dog? Where do you find them? Well, location-wise, you know, I'm going to typically be in the in the shallower waters, the mid-depth waters. And again, that's all relative. But keep in mind, the lake that I primarily fish on, the deepest parts, a little over 30 feet. So when I say shallow water, I'm going to start real shallow, maybe like two, three feet. I'm going to hit that for a little bit. If they're not there, then I'm just going to make a slight move because all the fish are going to do is make a slight move to be comfortable. And then I break the water down. If you've heard any of the seminars I've done, I break it down in three to four foot segments. So if they're not in two to, let's say two to four or five feet, then I'm going to go five to seven, eight. And I'm going to know right away because if they're there, they're going to be biting because that's what they're doing in the dog days of summer in the early morning. They're, they're eating. And wherever they're at, that's where I'm going to stay. Local Life Outdoor says, I like cut bait for channels and blues and live brim for flatheads. What do you recommend? Well, I um, hate to give you a, a cheap answer, but I think you nailed it right on the head. I think that's so, That's what I recommend. I mean, I don't need to go any more into that. That's that's You answered the question with the best answer. Cool. Tim Molina is asking again, where are your home waters again? Yeah, so Tim, I'm in Des Moines, Iowa, and if you're not familiar with Iowa, Des Moines is pretty much right square in the middle of the state. Okay, we got two stands fishing. He says he really thinks the that moving the fate or moving what think the moving bait will number one be in front of more active fish, and number two trigger the reaction bite on some of the fish that maybe weren't looking to eat. So he's agreeing with you pretty much. So, yeah. And I, I do think that, um, let's talk about it a little bit, if you don't mind, you know, absolutely what we're, what we're doing. So, um, not always do 
does extra noise on the bottom equal more fish. But I'm a big fan of like the versa rattle or any type of like the ultra chub, anything that, that's got some noise to it. Um, because it can trigger those fish that are on the on the on the fence of eating. And sometimes just having that I think and this is my opinion, I think sometimes having that extra noise down there, sometimes especially during the spawn and stuff, don't bite it just because it's irritating. Um, but if I can put, if I have five rods out, which is typically what I fish, I'll generally have two or three with some type of rattle or some type of prop or something on them to put mm -hmm. that extra vibration out. And if it gets me two extra fish for the day, it's two more than I would have caught if I didn't have them. Yeah, they don't shy away from, from rattles and stuff at all. I think I've, I've missed them, and I think I they come back more often if they miss the bait and they got a rattle than if they missed it and it didn't. So, But that's just my experience so do you believe that to be true um i generally I, I typically think that when a when a fish misses the bait i think they're done i think yeah. if you get something that comes back to it it's a fish that's nearby that's hungry as well. you think it's a different fish then yeah i don't think that I, I i'm just from hours and hours and hours from the years of doing this uh -huh. i personally think that if you get a decent you know, not a nibble, a nibble that fish can come back and chase it, you know, and a lot of small fish do that. But I'm talking about a loaded rod that that fish just missed the hook. I think they're done. And I think if they're you done. get one within a few seconds after that, it's another fish. It's another fish? Oh, I never thought about it that way, but that's good to know. Justin's fishing fetish says, uh, so how far, well, <clears throat> how far out the back of the boat uh, do you do you drag your baits? Yeah, Justin, that's a good question. So, yeah, we um, had a, we had a long talk about this after the last show that we did. <laughs> right, man. There's a lot to go into to that, and I'm trying to keep it um, somewhat short so we can get to all the other questions. But it really goes off the geometry and how angles work. Um, what I would suggest doing, if you want a more in-depth answer, is going back and watching the previous episode where we talk about that for probably a good 15 minutes or, or 10 minutes on that. But to answer your question in a little bit of a shorter answer, um, I, I generally let as much line out as I can. And I mean, that's that's quite a bit. So if I'm fishing five rods, and hopefully this will, you know, everything's back. So the back of my boat looks like, sorry, like this. This, this one's long, short, long and then i generally don't have one out here i have two off the side and they're unplatable so that's kind of how i fish those but you'll see that the one in the middle that's a little bit shorter when we get into deeper water that one typically doesn't hook up as much because of the angle and how that bait's presented there but you have you know you got to fish your rods in a, in a way that doesn't tangle everything up and i don't like running by board so that's the route i go and we I generally throw a big bait on that one or a bigger piece of bait on that. And that way, if they want it, they're going to eat that big bait and they're going to get the hook. If I throw a smaller piece on there and there's more opportunity um, for them to kind of miss it or whatever the case is, then I'll notice that I get more misses on that. But if I throw a big chunk on there, that rod gets loaded up and the funnel runs stays over. So I, did, I get, did I hit that well enough for you? I, I oh, think boy. so. Justin, 
Just a couple of guys actually were thinking that was a good question. I think you answered it very well. Uh, Twisted Fishing TV asked, uh, I watch Channel Cats pack hunting. Have you have you observed this from where you're from? So um, I, I've never observed that personally. But well, I can tell you that the group of active fish, when you find them, they're going to be the group of active fish. You can put, and this is why trolling works so well. If you had, um, let's just say test waters, right? You know, you have a test water and you throw your line in, and that test water has 100 catfish. And 100 of those catfish are not active, you're not going to catch anyone. You go down the, the lake, the river, whatever it is, and you throw it into the, the school of five, and all five of those are active fish, you're going to catch all five. Or at least you're going to get five, you know, for swinging. Take a swing at the ball. So, so it's a matter of the, the active fish. They're pretty much going to be the active fish. I don't know how else to explain it. They're going to be the group of active fish. And they're going to be generally, those fish are going to be kind of the pack, if you want to call them that. And they're going to stick around for a while. They're not going to like go off to five miles down the lake and you know they're going to be in that group or that family group or that pack or whatever you want to call it until they they're not but that group's going to be together and it's going to be someone on the same biological cycle too so i don't know that it's necessarily that they hunt like tuna um, where they maybe circle the baits and you know they trap them uh, i don't think catfish are smart enough to do that or or the waters offer the ability for them to do that like they do in the ocean. But I think that when you find a pack of active fish, that's exactly what you found in the group of active fish. Do, do you feel that um, if you can get a one or maybe two of them in that pack of fish to bite, that they'll feed off each other, whether yeah, it's just the energy so. or not, you can stir them up and they get worked into a frenzy. You do agree with that? Yep. Because okay. the fish, fish do a lot of... Um, their activity off of their triggers, mm-hmm. like we were talking about before, you know, and if, if, if they like perch, okay. When you drop down, when I ice fish for perch, a lot of times I just take a weight and drop it down and I stir up the bottom. Mm-hmm. And it just brings those fish over because something happened and then, they, you know, they'll start feeding. And I think it's the same way with channel cats too, but now I'm moving pretty quick and they, I don't give them a lot of time to figure it out. You know, they're there, and we're going to get them, and they've got just a matter of, you know, a minute or two before I'm out in the next area. So, but I do think, you know, that is what happens. Justin's asking, braid or mono, and why? Okay. Um, I get that question a ton. So, yeah, people love to ask that question. Right. And there, there's the best way to answer that is the conditions that you're fishing in. It's going to be the most general best. So braid, you'll have to keep in mind, is less um, less friendly to abrasions. So if you're fishing in heavy uh, wooded area or heavy rocks or sharper rocks, your braid is going to take the abuse more than your mono. Um, if you don't know how to fight a fish, well, and a lot of people I find out they don't know the proper way to fight a fish. Um, mono is 
the better option because there's a little bit of stretch in giving that. Whereas with braid, the terminal point of all your pressure is going to be where the hook is into the, the flesh of the fish. And if you don't let that fish play the rod correctly, then the not having that little bit of flex in play is going to rip the hook out of every one of the fish's mouths. That's why a lot of people lose fish with braid. Um, I take a lot of people, like I said earlier, I take a lot of new people out that want to learn different things. And one of the biggest things that people fight is the ability to keep their line tight. So I fish with braid because as soon as I see them start to drop a rod or lower it or get the angle wrong, you know, I can correct them right away. And there's instantly, there's no more slack left in the line with braid. It's tight again. And that's truly the only reason why I, I personally fish braid during, you know, my year of fishing, which is, I don't get a fish for myself. Um, if I did, I would use mono all the time. For one, it's easier if things get tangled up. And when you're, when you're trolling with, for catfish, things are going to get tangled up. There's no sure way do. to fight that. <laughs> At some point, you're going to have the notzilla that you don't want to deal with. I call it knitting sweaters. That happens <laughs> to me quite a bit. <laughs> I have to just, I see that coming in. And I'm like, I just take a deep breath, close my eyes for a second. Don't, don't show that it's uh, <laughs> going to be a headache, man. But you know when you're not when you're not up tangled up whatever mono's a thousand times easier to get undone than braid. Um, mono offers that little bit of stretch to it. It's got a little higher visibility and it doesn't uh, bleach out in the sun. And if you are into nighttime fishing, um, your blue lights are going to show your line a little bit better. So I mean that's a long answer, but I would just tell you. I guess going back to it and you're trying to make it a little shorter for you, it depends on the, the conditions you're fishing. And hopefully the start of that long answer gives you a little bit better. And also what you're, what you're confident with as well. I'm going to add that to that too. So yeah. I've seen lots of people catch lots of fish on all different signs, kinds of line, but everything you said definitely makes sense. So uh, Chris Uselton's asking if the Usselton is asking the question, your PB channel cat. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I don't weigh hardly weigh fish. Uh, my best one this year was 15 pounds, like right on the button. It's got my personal best guy. We heard pretty close to that, but keep in mind, I might catch like 10 fish a year. Um, the whole, my whole fishing season is taking people out, guiding them. So I don't generally get much of a chance to reel anything. Betty Jean Cross with the question says, uh, in reality, guiding is a job. So let's put the job aside for a minute and tell us about your fun fishing and where your dream fishing trip would be and why. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. My my work day, if you will, you know, in the summertime, it starts at 6 and it ends at, at 11 or 11.30. If I have the opportunity, um, my fun and guiding is fun. It, it is a job, but it's fun. And but to step outside of that window maybe is the best way to put it, and not not say one's fun, one's not fun. But outside of the guiding part, I enjoy being able to call my friends up and say, "Hey, man, it's been a great morning. We're on fish." Can you meet me at the dock at 1130 when I drop off my clients so we can go out and, you know, put the game plan together for tomorrow and catch some fish, you know, doing it. 
at some point you have to kind of when you're I'm busy like every day that I'm not at the fire station I'm guiding and to avoid some of the burnout um, you have to allow for some of that other time in there and you know, I'll, I'll call friends up and I'll say let's go we're on fish put a game plan together for tomorrow to me that's that's fun fishing and I don't want to say you know guiding is not fun but I think you get right and I don't have a I don't have a dream place I'd like to go fishing um, I don't like to travel I hate traveling at all if it's more than an hour I don't go period so I hate to give you a cheap worthless Your answer for that, there's nothing wrong with that yeah I get too stressed out traveling so I just don't know Justin, with what he calls the most important question of the night, what snacks do you take on your boat? I don't eat. <laughs> I don't eat on the boat. So um, a lot of people probably don't read their insurance clause. Um, mine says it's commercial guiding insurance, but I'm not to bring food on the boat. So I don't um, because if I, let's say I bring a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you're allergic to peanut, you have some kind of anaphylactic reaction. That's so understandable. I can, I can go five hours without eating. Um, but I will tell you, if I'm fishing with a friend of mine, Twizzlers are pretty darn hard to beat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a sugar guy, but Twizzlers are hard to beat. I know Lyle Stokes on Catfish Weekly. He loves his Twizzlers, too. Those and, and Vienna sausages. <laughs> I think those are his boat snacks at choice. I'm sorry. Yesterday we had elk sausage and Twizzlers. So there you go. That's not bad at all. That's good stuff. I haven't had elk sausage in a while, Evan. I think we did answer that question already. But he's asking thermal clients and channels. What are your thoughts? Fish above them. Fish all your fish above the thermal. Yep. Let's see. Uh, all right, muskrat's asking. Uh, do you think sonar will affect catfish lateral lines in shallow waters? No, I don't. I mean, and that's honest. That's a quick, dirty answer. Um, I don't think that even though those are going out, you know, there's a tick to it. If you run your sonar on dry ground, you hear um, at times. I, I don't think that that has any impact on it at all. Uh, I think that fish are used to movement. Let's just say movement tickling their lateral line. But I think there's a difference between a more uh, aggressive uh, pitch, if you want to call it, or aggressive tone out there, like like some of the rattles make, that either gets their attention or, or doesn't. But I don't think things as soft as I have any impact on them. Yeah, we got Betty made a comment that she believes uh, facial hair doesn't matter when it comes to catching fish, and she can get on some fish. She's pretty good at it. Uh, Corey over at the Flatty Daddies is saying it's a great show. Uh, we are at an hour and five. Let's see if we got some more questions here. Yeah, that hour went by way too fast. It does go by quick when we're having a good time. I like talking to you, Dave, definitely. Uh, yeah, he is a he is a mono guy. He does use braid for his customers, Tim. So that's a good question. <laughs> we got some comments out there. Uh, Uncle Lou says lighter rod action will help you keep your bait from doing all the that snapping in those waves. It, that makes sense. Well, it we, can. 
if you have the if you don't have a small or like a softer rod, you don't have mm -hmm. enough line out. It's still gonna it's gonna act almost like a like a slingshot. Slingshot almost, right? Yeah. So it's just a matter of having a little heavier weight and having that line further from the boat. Skip wants to know where do we find the seminars that you do. Well, I have been doing some with Brad Durek over the years, um, and I've also done some at the local bait shops. So anytime, well, it's actually the last handful of um, Hatfish Universities that Durek put on, I've been part of. Uh, I was asked to do one at the Catfish Conference, but I'm not going to be there this year. Um, uh, I'm trying to think if I had anything going on. You would post it on your right now, uh, but I don't on your Facebook page if you you had something set up, correct? So keep an eye. Uh, I'm not sure, and it's okay. I don't well, have to look at the calendar. But, all right. Well, no, I mean uh, in the future, if they want to see you somewhere in the future, you would post something like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're gonna okay. you're gonna find that on on Instagram and Facebook. Freddie's asking how many rods. You had said you like to do five, so we went over yep. that. Uh, how much line do you throw out before you attach a planer board? Yeah. So that's a fabulous question. Because, I agree. Uh, I, I personally think there's a better way to do it than a lot of people do where they just drop it off the side of the boat. They hit bottom, maybe swing their rod a couple of times to get a few uh, feet of extra slack out and put the board on. What I do is I just give it a, um, a slow pitch. I guess it's kind of, and this may be kind of hard to see, but if I'm just casting just a, a nice, easy, slow, you know, slow pitch to get it maybe like 15 feet or so from the boat. And then I let it hit the bottom. I'll give it a few sweeps out. That does a couple different things. It's going to cover the different depth changes that I'm going to go to. And it's also, and then I'll attach that board on it. And it's also going to allow me time to unclip that board before the fish is underneath the boat. So that you know, that's key. Anytime that there's a a opportunity for slack, uh, those fish are going to take it. They're going to feel that too. They're fighting a fish. You don't realize they're they're actually pretty smart to what's going on down there. If they feel a slight delay or or slack in the line, you're, it's amazing how quickly it, they get off it. It feels it's like what, an escape route to them, right? Yeah, it's just uh. I mean, it's it's like magic. They just know it's there and they're gone. So by putting that planer board out further, but not you know excessively far, I don't throw them out as far as I can and put a board on them. Um, I just pitch them off to the side of the boat, like I said, 15, 20 feet. Let it go down, sweep the the rod a few times to get some slack out there, and I put my board on. But when I'm when I am getting that board off. It's just a second to take it off, but I don't have to deal with that and a bent rod in my face and the line going, you know, tight straight down. So that that's a good question that that can keep you from losing a lot of fish. Yeah, we had that conversation too offline last time because I was having that problem. So uh, Danny Stone Outdoor says, "How often do you change out your the line on your reels?" Once a year, and that's uh, braid, correct? Yeah. See right there, Lyle said, "Did someone say Twizzlers?" I told you. <laughs> Twizzlers are the bomb. Brent, Brent, uh, Brent says, "I'm pulling up with snacks to sell your customers next year." 
But that's pretty cool. You know, he's, he posted a picture of me fishing in the or driving the boat or whatever with some some clients, and he says, "You always know you're in the right spot when these guys show." Michael <laughs> Morello, Michael Morello fishing uh, says, "What is your best advice regarding areas of the lake to focus bank fishing at Sailorville and Big Creek Lake?" Yeah, so those are my home bodies of water. Um, I'm going to reread that question again here. So it's a little small. Give me just a quick second here for bank fishing. Well, I'm, I think the best way to answer that is to understand, like, get a map of the lake and understand where your contours are going to be. So I could tell you, you know, you're going to go uh, 100 yards from the mile long bridge north or south, but that doesn't really necessarily mean anything um, because 99% of the people here aren't going to get anything out of an answer. So the best thing that I can tell you is if you get a, a map of the lake, and there's a bunch of them for the lake, you, you know, you list Sailorville and, and Big Creek. Um, you're going to look for those tight contours is generally what I want to go try to hit first. And those are going to be um, good areas of cover. And it's going to offer different structure for those bodies of water. Where Sailorville, there's a very minimal structure. Um, so finding those, those contours or where everything kind of comes together and to offer like a funnel. Um, those are going to be spots that, that I would look for for the bank and bank fishing. And you, there's there's those things out on Big Creek as well. Um, you just have to, to, to get a map of it and look. But I generally don't typically just throw right on the platform in the bank. I want to try to be around some type of structure. I hope that gives you the answer you need because I'm sure I'll probably see you around on, on one of those two bodies a lot. Cool. Hopefully that answers your question, Mike. Um, Buck Williams says, it's been great, Mark. About time, Channel Cat's got some love. I totally agree. Channel Cat's a hard fighting fish. Betty Jean says, uh, I got to work tomorrow, so it's past my bedtime. Thank you so much, David, for sharing your knowledge with us. Uh, amazing guests, amazing shows always, Mark. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, dragging speed, uh, what general? Um, we generally drag at 0. 0.6 to 1 mile an hour is what Freddie does. How about you? Yeah, it's going to go specifically on what the water temperature is. So early spring, um, you know, ice out, it's not generally a great time to control. Um, that's going to be a, a, where your bank fishing or your anchor fishing is really going to be king and, and rule over dragging baits along. But as the water warms up, the speed warms up. So uh, typically, I, what at the end of the year, I was going at 0 0.2, 0 0.3, maybe 0.4. I'm just bar I'm barely moving. Those fish are slowing down. They're still aggressive, but they're slowing down. And then come midsummer, you know, I mean, we we're catching fish at a mile an hour or, you know, 1.1, and, and they hammer it at 1.1, about shake the whole boat. Can, can you drag too slow in the summer? Or are you just trying to cover bodies of water? You know, or yeah, the distance? You, I guess you can't technically drag too slow in the summer. 
But what you can do is you can catch more fish by covering more water. More ground. Okay. So, you know, that's kind of what made me pause on that and think, because it's like, yeah, you, you can, the speed isn't really the key. It's the numbers game. You know, it's the law of probability. Mm-hmm. The more water I cover, the more fish in theory I'm going to catch. Um, so I find the pot of active fish and I stay on And there's sometimes where that pot of active fish pods, because there are fish moving in and out. Like we talked about on the last episode, like a couple of years ago, it was five weeks, five weeks of 800 yards of water up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And we didn't, you know, we didn't change. That's it. a lot of turning. Yeah. I got yeah. sick of seeing the same scenery <laughs> all the time, explaining the same thing every day. You know, we're going to go fish this up to that point, And then we're going to turn around and go back. And we're going to do that for five hours every day for five minutes. Don't leave fish to find fish though. Right. Yeah, 100%. That'll bite you, man, every time. It sure does. I did that this weekend, and it bit me bad. Uh, Whisker Dreams, uh, this is a river question. Anchored up, uh, is it logical to use a planer board on moving water? Yeah, I don't think I'd probably use one in the river system. Yeah, I, not anchored up, I would not use it. No, uh, I mean, yeah, not in that. I shouldn't say the river system. I wouldn't use it in, in the question that was posed. All right. Now you could you could use a stern planer and get away with that. I think a stern planer would be a better option than a planer board. Okay. I think we got all the questions, David. You did fantastic. I had a real fun time tonight talking to you. Yeah. I learned quite a bit. I know everybody in chat probably did. Had a lot of people here, yeah, and I want to thank you again. Um, I do want to say um, best wishes to James. James, uh, uh, if you're out there listening or if you watch this after the fact, uh, we're going to miss you on Catfish Weekly most definitely, uh, and we're always sorry to see you go. So, um, Other than that, thank you very much for your time, Dave. It's It's been a lot of fun. I want everybody to know that Dave's link is in the description. Check it out. Uh, Chasing Cats, correct, is the name of your guide service? Yep, Chasing Cats. Chasing Cats, if you're in the Iowa area, look him up. I guarantee you he'll, well, I'm not, I, I, guarantee, I guarantee you a good time. I guarantee he's going to try to get you on the fish. I'm going to knock on wood in five years. I've never had a skunk. I've had some slow days, but I've never had a skunk. That's, that's incredible to be able to say so. All right, everybody, you guys have uh, SK's Crappie Catching Adventures. He's another guide in Texas. He's a crappie guide. He's a heck of a guy, so I'm I'm sure he can uh, uh, relate to a lot of stuff you're going through. So thank you again, everybody. Have a great night. David, once again, I can't say it enough. Thank you for your time. Uh, Everybody have a great week. Get out there and fish. Get off the couch. 